Good morning. We are now into the uh, public affair hour here at KGNU, Boulder, Denver, and Fort Collins. Good morning. John, would you like to introduce all of your guests? Uh, yes. Well, good morning. Stan Lendorf, Radio Nibbles, Boulder Weekly, etc. And um, I am so, so happy. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Daniel Asher and I, who's here, uh, uh, we were uh, we were talking, and it, it just wasn't enough time. We said, you know, we should invite some of our uh, food friends uh, to um, come and visit with us, and uh, we'll have so much to talk about. Uh, and uh, so we just went ahead and did it. And uh, so I want to introduce uh, Ann Cure from uh, Cure Organic Farm uh, in Boulder. Hi, Morning, Ann. everybody. Hi, John. Good to be here with everybody. So yeah. good to have you. Welcome. And uh, Andy Clark, uh, what do you do? Oh, he bakes bread. <laughs> bread baker. Hey, guys. Nice to see everyone this uh, morning. And uh, he brought his guitar. Um, you know, like, uh, where, have it, where, is all the, where is all the wheat flour gone? A very important tool to bring with you. John, where's all the wheat gone? And thank you, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so fantastic. Uh, so collectively, we have about uh, 150 years of uh, experience in various uh, parts of food. Um, but uh, all of us uh, have a very significant interest in uh, regenerative uh, farming, in the uh, in in encouraging. Uh, soil production and uh, local production of food. So I wanted to, I wanted to start there um, because I, I think that's, that's a mutual interest. Go ahead. Yeah, without a doubt. I think regenerative agriculture is, is reaching beyond a critical point, um, not of awareness, but of action. Um, so I think, you know, some of our time would be well spent discussing just the state of wellness of soil and humans in general in boulder county in boulder county and beyond yeah exactly so why don't we start with them yeah now's the perfect time of the year to start talking about that i think we all have a touch of spring Uh fever everything's starting to green up days are getting Uh longer so are things are things better than they were 10 years ago for local agriculture and sustainable agriculture are things better um things continue to evolve and be different that's for sure um we have a really unique situation here in Boulder in that there's a lot of public lands that are dedicated to agricultural, different types of diversified agricultural production. So we're really fortunate to live in a place that holds that as a community, as a, as a community value. Right. So better in that sense? Absolutely. Well, there's more new farmers. Well, and we're reclaiming some of those, some of those areas, those open space areas are, aren't very, uh, for, well, they need work. Just love and attention, right? Um, and doesn't really matter in, in my mind what your modality Mine just went off. what your modality um, of farming is. It uh, we all get up, put our boots on in the morning, and try to try to make the world a better place. Um, so there's a lot new a lot of new farmers that have come into the area in Boulder both ranchers um, as well as diversified vegetable producers people have extended um, grain productions um, so so better I would say it continues to evolve and grow because it's a community value yes absolutely and our lands continue um, to heal and be healthy and grow because of that 
Yeah, I think, you know, speaking to the grain piece of uh, the sort of local evolution of um, kind of going back in time, and this is, this is a, 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 a strong grain production area historically, and at a certain point, uh, most of the grain that was being produced here was being produced by large multinational corporations, and uh, I remember driving to work to Whole Foods Market in Aurora from Gun Barrel and spending, you know, most of that time driving by really large uh, wheat fields and wondering, you know, where does that wheat go, you know, and, and stopping and pulling over and knocking on doors and saying, what kind of wheat is this? Or where, where is it going? And they said, well, you know, somebody from Cargill uh, or ConAgra just comes and, yeah. you know, uh, uh, tells me they're going to plant one day. And then one day I see combine harvesters out there and it's gone. And then I get a check, you know, and I said, well, what variety is that? And they said, well, we don't really know. Um, right. And so, you know, in the past uh, five years, maybe not quite ten, uh, interest has been growing in reclaiming the soil for local production of not only vegetables and, and um, uh, ranching, but of grain, you know. But, but not just any grain. What are you interested uh, in? So what my, are you my passion... My passion up until about a month ago was really centered around heirloom grains, and it was my belief that, uh, and it is my belief that we've we've done something really wrong to uh, in, in wheat breeding to create these wheat varieties that that make us sick and that we can't uh, our bodies can't digest. They're they're like foreign objects in our gut, and they bring about. Um, a you horrible know, response. Really bad response. There's non-celiac gluten sensitivity is through the roof. Uh, celiac disease is up. And, you know, the, the human race has evolved alongside this crop that we've, we've developed and bred for 14,000 years. Um, in the past 30 years, it's been making us sick. And so I uh, started to discover the uh, health attributes of heirloom grains and promote them and get them grown and to incorporate them into our bakery. And about a month ago, I was out in Washington State University with Dr. Stephen Jones. At the Bread Lab. At the Bread Lab. Phenomenal place. Um, we had sort of like a Woodstock. Uh, we, we invited 12 of uh, the most innovative bakers from around the world, and we just sort of unpacked it as a group. And uh, what Dr. Jones is doing is he's breeding... Uh, wheat for place. So if he breeds wheat for Colorado, it's perhaps more resistant to hail, to droughts. If he breeds wheat for uh, Vermont, perhaps it's more, fu you know, fungus or uh, mold resistant. Um, his, uh, you know, strongest desire is to increase yield so that we're utilizing the soil to the maximum benefit. And there's a lot of breeding, uh, a lot of different interests out there in wheat breeding that do, you know, some maybe precious things that have kind of low yields and it's great it's all good right but at the end of the day if you can get 120 bushels per acre of good healthy flavorful wheat rather than 30 um you're you know everyone wins right? everyone wins because right. the, because the, go the goal is not uh, that 100 people in boulder uh eat well and eat the right thing but that 10,000 people or 100,000 people have access, and it's a more normal thing. Yes. Yeah, food food equity, I, I, I completely agree, I think. Uh, <clears throat> the idea of, you know, cultivating, <clears throat> you use the word precious, which I think is a, is a very good term, you know, cultivating precious, adorable vegetables and fruits is fantastic, <laughs> and it works great, you know, in a, in a restaurant environment to put on a plate 
and do a wonderful table side talk about you know how magnificent this experience is but at the end of the day we're just trying to feed people that are hungry hallelujah and that's yeah. really what it comes yeah. down to and so how do we do that in the most intelligent and thoughtful manner and don't you think restaurants as a platform also have an opportunity to make everyday real normal run-of-the-mill vegetables accessible and exciting and for people yeah craveable exactly yes. like special. that's our job like, yeah exactly it's it's not about getting a, a a tiny limited run you know there's only 10 pounds of this available that's great we can turn it into a beautiful special for a weekend but at the end of the day we want people to come in and feel like they're getting nourished on every level not just physically but emotionally and spiritually at a at a, at a reasonable transactional cost but beyond that idea of a transaction there's something more hopefully that's happening that feels really special and that's what it's really all about and that's exactly the same thing that happens when people end up out on the farms at our farm stands and our csa pickups at andy's bakery because there's this connection to place right and, yes. to, and to origin and, and, that and, and community right and for the three yeah. of you I, I see i think the last two years the horrors we could spend another hour talking about the horrors let's of, not you know, no let, but let's not the vegetables didn't know there was a pandemic <laughs> right they just kept growing just and kept doing growing. their yes thing. but one one yes. one great thing uh, uh, that came out of that is that people uh, discovered there was actually local sources of yeah, food, yeah. right? Did, I, yeah. I would love to, that? I would love to speak to that because I think, uh, you know, there's been this sort of local food movement, which is wonderful. A lot of it is that you just buy a hat and it says, I'm local, or, you know, ask me how passionate I am about local, you know, when you're going to Starbucks. Right. And I think during the pandemic, when you could not buy eggs or flour at the grocery store, and that farmer with a funky little farm stand, a little donation bucket that said eggs, five bucks. And had a pile of them. You're like, you're like, damn, I guess I'm going to have to go meet that farmer who's always out there, you know, on his tractor and dirty overalls. And you pull up and you buy the eggs. And or like, she's always out or there. Or she's always out there, yes. Thank you. And, exactly. And, and, <laughs> you know, you buy these, you buy these eggs and they are delicious. And you meet the yeah. farmer and she's amazing. And you develop a sense of community, you develop a sense for place and you know i think that a lot of um there's been a lot of rerouting now because now you continue to go to your neighbor farmer instead of to the grocery store for your staple foods have you seen that in 100 percent. we have a lot of new customers that come out just for that reason a lot of people we're located right on the corner of 75th and valmont so we have a really sweet neighborhood around us in heatherwood um gun barrel area not too far from niwat lewisville etc and so we've met a lot of our neighbors who've been driving by for years that haven't pulled in and that that did during the pandemic and but people are also we found um excited to have something more than just like a, a cashier transaction right mm, and, I, and i just want to speak a little bit more to that about how food is so in community yeah, yeah community it's, it's such an intimate thing that we do and what's happening now, John, originally you asked me, is, is it better? And, and I just keep kind of going back to that question. I think another thing that's better about it is what Andy spoke to is people are thinking about and noticing um, farming happening in the community. And, and, and just noticing it, asking the question brings life to it and, and um, helps it helps ground you in it, knowing that those fields all along Gun Barrel Hill and Lookout, those, that Lookout Road, those hills you go down, some of them are golden with, with wheat chaff, some of them are green with, with um, winter wheat coming on right now. R rye, there's a lot of rye up on that hill. You know, yeah, people, yeah. Are, people are noticing it and thinking about it and asking the question, and then all of a sudden, 
not only food, but, but the whole agricultural community becomes part of our culture again. Speaking the of the community, I'm going to uh, interrupt here for a second. This is a public affair on KGNU. This is John Lendorf. We've got three guests here, Ann Cure of Cure Farm, Andy Clark of Moxie Bread, and Daniel Asher of uh, River and Woods, uh, etc. And uh, if you have questions about local food, local agriculture, or uh, acoustic music, in the case of Andy, can we have a, a few notes in the background here? Uh, you can call, and uh, what's what's the number, uh, Shannon, that uh, folks should call? 303-442-4242. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll figure out how to... Uh, how to chat with you. Uh, please, Ta- taking, continue. Taking song requests as well, so if you've got a favorite song you'd like but to hear, yeah, call in with questions and, and commentary. We're talking about our local food system, the importance of community, which, as we've all um, learned over the past couple of years, is more important than it ever has. Um, and I, I'd like to speak to you know what you just were saying, Anne, about the idea of a farm stand and people that have been driving by for years and never pulled in. You know, seeing the the word that keeps popping up for me is resilience, and seeing the resilience of our, our local food economy. Um, you know, having this experience of a call to action um, during a time when all of these commodity producers were in panic mode, um, it made our local food system stronger mm-hmm. than it ever has been and feel more relevant and necessary than ever before. And for that, I am extremely grateful. Absolutely, and opportunity for people to be involved. So so often, food culture is kind of kind of a passive um, <clears throat> passive experience for folks, right? And, yeah. and, but but pr- pr- providing an opportunity for people to get out there and actually be involved, come visit your animals, come get in your field, do a you pick. Right. Um, you know, it's spring right now. All of our local farms. Um, here in Boulder and beyond across the nation are subscribing members to community supported agriculture programs. Yeah, now's the time. You know, there's, there's, um, and in fact, you better do it because a lot of the CSA programs fill up. They do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, and there's, I, uh, and there's different kinds. I think it's, yeah, and farm. that's what's beautiful about it. I think it's fair to say there's no one farmer out there who wants to, um, <clears throat> grow food for the whole world. I think everybody just wants to take really good care of a small portion of their community um, and their neighborhoods um, and whatnot. So the Boulder County Farmers Market started this past weekend. That's another yeah. really great way. Hallelujah. To and get, it was busy. Amazing. It was busy. Um, both of them, Boulder, downtown Longmont, those are on Saturdays. There's a Wednesday market that's going to start here soon. Yeah. We've got a, uh, a caller. Um our first caller. Hi, morning. Um, morning. I'm wondering if are there uh, banks or seed banks that help the local farmers, or should we be writing to the county and city and asking them to help subsidize by doing more more farmers markets and maybe pl- other places year round to get local food somehow or other? The county still owns lots of land that they lease to pesticide using, I guess, uh, people who grow sugar beets. And we keep trying to get the county to switch from that, but somehow do they need to subsidize local food production rather than this large-scale commercial stuff that gets sent far away and is using pesticides that kill wildlife and people? Thanks for the question. Um, Ann? Yeah. um, Our... 
There are a lot of programs that are in place uh, that offer support to local growers, specifically here in our community. But But I'd like to just encourage us to think about food production, not just food production can't have a boundary, right? The boundaries that we create around local and, and, and whatnot, are, they're, they're just imaginary lines that we draw. So, so let's just try to make sure that we're thinking about how our food production that is um, exported out of our state uh, really does affect and bring quality of life to people everywhere. And, and I think it's important to hold that as a value. And, and um, you know, while Cure Organic Farm is a certified organic farm and has been for 18 years, I think it's also important to think about agriculture as a whole picture and see where each different modality has has its place for food production for people. So that a lot of people aren't left out. Yeah, exactly. Right. And also, but, yeah. but yes, what to do. I love that. I love the call to action. Um, there is, we have a really phenomenal seed grower here in our county who's lived here for number of years. Rich, Rich Pecoraro. Oh my yep. God, Masa Seeds. Rich, yeah. if you're Amazing. out there, we're channeling you. Uh, Mad Masa shout seeds. out to Rich. Yes, yep. <laughs> totally. And, and Rich actually just received a grant from Boulder County, a sustainability grant for $75,000 to increase his efforts on seed production. And this is Masa, Masa Seed Masa Foundation. Seed Foundation. Seed Foundation. <laughs> they have a farm on uh, 60, um, 75th, 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 yep, just yeah. uh, south of Arapahoe. He sells seeds and other items and directly starts, from his starts. farm. We have, yep, we have his seeds in, in soil in our kitchen right now that my wife and, and kids planted a couple weeks ago that we're getting ready to in the ground there and amazing. they also they also have a booth at the boulder county farmers market yep and they're regional specific i mean he spent you know so much time developing and and and, and creating an experience mm-hmm. where um you know seeds are, are are set up to succeed with the maximum uh, right. amount of potential based on right. bioregionality right. so one thing that you can do you're planting your garden you're you're getting ready for the summer plant local seeds buy local plant starts um, because that that helps uh, everything. Yeah, I think um, you know th- there's some fair criticism of Boulder County and, and uh, conventional sugar beet production and so forth. I think there's a lot being done right as well in Boulder County, and I think that there's a responsibility that we have certainly us for here to reach beyond Boulder County. I think there's this. Um, you know, we're in the bubble, and it's a beautiful bubble, even within the pandemic. And uh, to go to the eastern part of the state, to go to the San Luis Valley, to uh, share some of our food and our experience and to um, cross-pollinate, you know, I think there's a lot of front-range uh, centricity here uh, on the Colorado Green Chain, a nonprofit um, board that both Ann and I sit on. Um, we are, are, are working hard to explore the different corners of the state and, and onboard everybody. And for whatever reason, Boulder just gets, you know, and Denver and Fort Collins get so much attention. But there's a lot of food being grown in the, in the entirety of the state. Valley Roots Food Hub is actually phenomenal. At phenomenal. Getting those items distributed around the area in a, in a fairly more accessible manner than so we Dan- expect. So, Daniel, I, th- I think this idea of, you know, what can people at home do? that's practical in their lives and and what can they choose to do obviously they can choose to buy locally but what else what other things can they do develop relationships with the people in your community that are working with their hands and working in the soil and crafting and making things that matter and that are doing things that feel connected and just have those conversations and have that dialogue 
talk to your neighbor, feel close, feel connected. I think we are reaching a critical mass situation where we're more isolated than ever. We're digitally more connected than ever, but physically isolated, and mm. we're not getting dirty. We need to get our mm. hands in the soil. We need to know our local farmer, our local miller, our local rancher. We need to know how and our are local, done. our local baker, and our local, local restaurant. Yeah, every butcher. every time, every the butcher, time. the baker, the candlestick maker. Oh, and it's know coming them all. back to the and, commons, and, right? and it is, and the guitar player too. And the guitar there. player, right? Uh, but what's what's yes. in, what's important <laughs> is that you have a choice every time you go out to dinner. You can choose to eat locally. We have another caller um, on, uh, well, whatever line. Victoria. Hey, Victoria. Hi. Yeah, I was calling to ask if uh, SNAP benefits are accepted as payment at the at your uh, farm stand and also at the, um, you know, the food markets and the, um, you know, the the other venues where farmers, local farmers and uh, organic farmers and just any farmer are, are able to sell their goods if they accept that benefits for payment. Thank you. I'm so glad you asked that, Victoria. Thanks Thanks for bringing that up, Food Access. Yes, um, they absolutely are. The Boulder County Farmers Markets, which runs the Longmont Farmers Market, um, as well as the Boulder Farmers Market, do accept EBT. Um, WIC uh, and uh, have other forms of payments. Um, there's a handful of grants that that market has also um, been awarded in order to um, help with food access as well. Well, well where you can use uh, market dollars. Yep, and there's there's its own currency of market bucks as well um, there. And yes, a lot of the farms <clears throat> do accept um, EBT as payment, um, SNAP as payment, WIC, etc. Yeah, and I would add that, you know, it's an interesting sort of dichotomy because <clears throat> on the one hand, uh, food should cost more. Food is too cheap, right? In, in one, in one there's regard... A, there's a value perception problem the, with the, the true cost of production. The, the true labor, cost of food needs to be talked um, about. Yes. You know, d diesel, diesel costs since 1974 is maybe 10 times. The cost of a bushel of wheat today is $4.74. That's mm -hmm. the same as it was in 1974. Oh. That's not right, right? But on the flip side, how do we get good food to folks who aren't getting it at the right price? Correct. And I think that's a nut we've yet to really fully crack. Oh. And also, <clears throat> I think I'd, I'd like to urge uh, understanding on the part of consumers when they go to the farm stand, when they go to the farmer's market, when they go to the bakery, and when they go to, go to restaurants, the cost of the basic, just like when you go to the grocery store, you're going, what the is happening here? Right. You know, the cost of butter is almost doubled. Everything's up. Our food costs at Moxie are up by about 25% during right. the pandemic. Right. It's crazy. Right. It's absolutely so, crazy. So if your croissant or your carrot or your halva or whatever or your burger, yeah, whatever it is that you're you're ordering, try to try to comprehend that it, it's not that they're going, oh, let's see how much money we can get out of the voter <coughs> consumer. It's like if I don't raise the price, I'm I'm not going to make it. Oh, we have two more callers. Awesome. Yeah, first we have RJ in Louisville. Hey, RJ, thanks for calling. Hey, gang. Howdy, neighbor John. Go ahead with your question. John oh. says good morning. In the car. <laughs> yeah. He's just not plugged in. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yes, please, go ahead. Can you hear RJ now? 
We can hear you. Yep. Yep. Go for it. Hey, great. Um, I want to talk about hyperlocal and uh, growing in the backyard, live in Louisville, and we've been encouraged to get our soil tested post-martial fire to make sure that there aren't a whole bunch of char uh, toxins that have become embedded in our soil. So your all recommendation for maybe doing an above-ground garden bed uh, or using the soil that we've got uh, following testing. I thank you very much for the reference to our local seed purveyor. So I'll definitely look up that farm. But just, uh, yeah, how do we do deal with toxic Marshall fire soils? What's your best recommendations, if you have any? And thanks for what you're all doing. All right. Hey, RJ, great question. Um, you know, the best thing we can do is get more people growing their own food. So, so I love that. Um, Cooperative Extension, CSU, offers soil testing. You can contact the Cooperative Extension office in Longmont, Colorado, um, in order to have directions on how to, um, how to take those tests and where to send them. Um, so you can, and you can also have um, some soil scientists or grad students up at CSU help interpret your soil test, help, help you read them if you haven't done that in the past. Um, raised beds are always a great option, right? Like um, raised beds, creating a box using an old livestock tank being real creative with all sorts of different things in order to get food growing is always a good idea. Um, <clears throat> direct gardens in the soil, you, you know, um, that really has a lot, a lot more to do with, with what you're already, what you're given, right? What you're given in, um, on the ground there. Does that help? We may have lost RJ. But we have another caller. Yeah, we've got uh, James. James, thanks for joining us this morning. Um, I've got a couple of resources for you that I'd like to share. One is, Bring it. of course, Bring our, our local um, investing company, uh, that Slow Money from Woody Tash. He's got that program called Soil. Phenomenal program, for, yes. For sustainers uh, of investing locally. Um, and so you can speak about the, the wonders that they've been doing. But the other uh, resource that uh, I found is, is kind of a, a, a subtle, um, kind of a sleeper. In Applewood, in Golden, uh, Colorado, there's, there's a guy, um, David Braden, who runs his uh, program called Living Systems Institute. And he helps uh, individuals have this, like, a closed loop where he explains all the, the science and the, uh, the processes that go on with the microbes and uh, developing um, the, the, the systems to grow your own food in a closed loop and very sustainably. So um, I highly encourage people to check that out, livingsystemsinstitute.org. So those are a couple things I wanted to share. Thanks. That's great. Yeah, the soil program has been phenomenal. Woody Tash and his team has done an exceptional job through the Slow Money Foundation um, to uh, create uh, amazing opportunities for investment in um, local, not just local agriculture, but local food projects in general. And also thinking, thinking bigger about the whole thing. Um, there are other ways to uh, do agriculture, uh, including uh, vertical farming, you know, which is great for, for mass production. There's a huge 90,000 square foot place growing lettuce, I guess, in Denver. The other thing is uh, this combination of agriculture and aquaculture. Uh, there's folks in uh, Denver who are actually doing really 
interesting things. Essentially, the the, the water from the uh, fish you're growing goes back to feed the feed the uh, plants. Yeah. Yeah. So many different systems out there. But and all the best systems are in a circle. Exactly. <clears throat> Recycled nutrients, water, etc. I need to break in for a moment and do a legal ID. You are listening to KGNU, Boulder, Denver, and Fort Collins. It's the top of the hour. We are taking your calls here in the studio, 303-442-4242. Up next on the phone is Rachel. Rachel, thanks for stopping by our campfire. How are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hi. I am interested in um, heritage grains and why exactly they're healthier and who grows and sells them locally and you know if you're a home baker and you're making bread what's different about working with heritage grains than um the stuff you buy in the grocery store oh my god andy is so excited right now his eyes are i wonder who should take this question he's crying with uh, excitement let's see where to start so (laughs) why are heritage grains better for you um I, I would start by saying that there is not a ton of research out there that scientifically proves really anything. Uh, there's a lot of anecdotal uh, sort of research and studies, and there's a lot of people, myself included, who have been reacting negatively to the wheat that you get when you buy a burger or a um, you know a, a pizza at a national chain or a, a hoagie bun at a national chain. Um, and uh, when you eat a, a perhaps fermented uh, heirloom grain and, and there's a, uh, no strange gut stuff going on, uh, there's an individual named uh, Dr. Bob Quinn who uh, started Kamut International. The Mighty Quinn. The Mighty Quinn. And Bob has actually dedicated uh, about $2 million in resources to do uh, cellular tests that have proven one specific variety of wheat called Corazon. Uh, has uh, rejuvenative, uh, um, uh, healthful anti-inflammatory um, properties, uh, and this is versus some conventional wheats that are um, inflammatory in the gut. Talk about the importance of uh, sourdough fermentation, <clears throat> and not just throwing wheat, yeast, and sugar in a sure. bowl. Yeah, and and I, and I think you know the 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 problems that we're seeing with people digesting wheat are sort of maybe three or fourfold. I think one is variety specific. One is what are you doing to that wheat between putting it into the ground and grinding into flour? Are there a lot of uh, petrochemical inputs and pesticides and herbicides? Is there glyphosate uh, Roundup being uh, added as a Has desiccant? It Has it been bleached? Has it been broken into all of its parts, extracted and reconstituted? Uh, there's a lot of aspects to um, you know, humans doing really silly stuff to that food source. Um, traditionally, wheat and, and many of our foods were fermented to help, you know, break down some of these uh, hard-to-digest uh, properties within different food groups. Um, and fermentation has sort of gone by the wayside, uh, largely, and certainly in the uh, sort of industrial, you know, food complex. If you get a burger at uh, McDonald's, pretty good chance that that, you know, hamburger bun didn't see more than 10 minutes of time between when it was mixed as a dough and put in the oven. You know, uh, the breads that we do, uh, we mix them. Uh, this isn't true of all of our breads, but our sourdough breads, we mix today at 9 a.m. And they sit in our uh, refrigerator, bulk fermenting for about 22 hours before we shape them into loaves and ferment them for another three to four hours. So it's almost a 24-hour fermentation cycle. And there's just a lot that happens and sort of pre-digests some of those proteins. Uh, gluten is not inherently 
easy to digest. It's a really good um, network to hold a loaf of bread together um, and hold the starch together and some of these uh, fibers, but uh, it needs a little bit of help along the way. The wonder so, broth that you right. do is exceptional. Yeah, right. thank you. So the the question the wonder back in bread right. the wonder back in bread <laughs> the question was uh, where can people uh, source this and uh, so go ahead and sure tell people so you know there's a what, lot of options tell people what you have available sure um, you have a mill we have a mill, uh, <laughs> a and, and, mill. And, and we've been you know I, I have to say the past five five or so years of my um, time in Colorado has been so joyful and so. Uh, just fun um, connecting with different farmers, whether it's Ann Cure or Eric Skokin or Andre Husney or Cody at Speedwell. Um, mm. Almost every farmer that I've met uh, in Boulder County that I drive through every day uh, has either, uh, Aspen Moon as well, has either been doing a, a small wheat uh, production of their of their own volition or has been inspired by bakers in the local grain movement to plant and to sort of trial some wheat varieties. So um, I can speak to yesterday, uh, hanging out with Andre Husney, I stopped by to, I guess, have a cup of coffee or something to uh, Jacob Springs Farm, which is the neighbor to uh, Masa Seed Foundation. And uh, aside from having uh, smoked suckling pork on the barbecue at 7.30 in the morning, uh, I, I was reminded that uh, we had a restaurant place an order for a variety of um, Durham wheat we had planted with Andre a year before that we all get busy. It's been stuck in barrels for a year. And I said, Andre, can I grab a barrel and clean it? You know, And we had a, um, a seed cleaner that we had bought for the Colorado grain chain from Michelle Moffat of Freshly Milled Flour. And that was sitting in her uh, in her barn. And I said, Michelle, I'm going to pick up that seed cleaner from you finally, and I'm going to go park it at Andre's. And I parked it there, and five of his farmhands and I cleaned this. Uh, it's a, it's called Iraqi Durham. These big, wow. fat, gorgeous kernels. That's cool. And sat around, and we were just sort of joking. I was like, this is going to be really fancy pasta at a beautiful mm. restaurant in a week in Denver. Mm. You know, So varieties that Moxie has at the moment um, – uh, red Fife, Turkey Red, Kamut, uh, Rouge de Bordeaux. I actually have 40 pounds of Tibetan Delicious. barley and, in my and, truck to and plant. And Sonoma. Sonora White. Sonora. Emmer. Einkorn that Sonoma. is currently coming from South Dakota or actually from uh, Oregon. Corn uh, from Eastern Colorado. Corn from Southwest Colorado from Bow and Arrow. Uh, bow and arrow is amazing. Bow and arrow through Valley Food Hub. Through Valley uh, Food Hub, yeah, yeah. an indi uh, indigenous collective, yeah, phenomenal, yeah. based in the Four yeah. Corners region, well, is well, and amazing. You, and you, you, you bake uh, pita from scratch. Yes, every day. Yeah, we do. We also do a, a, a long ferment um, what, what, as well. We're what using turkey you... red from Andy, um, <coughs> which has been amazing. Right. And um, it's just great. It's a yeah. beautiful connection point yeah. for the guests to see a true artisan bread program and what goes into it. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a labor of love. It's an around the clock mm -hmm. obsession, rightfully so as it, as, as all mm -hmm. good things should be. Well, and, and you're paying attention, you know, to, to address the question of how do you use this and bake bread at your house? Uh, I will tell you it is different than buying, you know, uh, King Arthur or General Mills and having a very consistent, stable, uh, you know, product that's the same every time you pull it off a grocery shelf. That is not the world we live in, specifically with heirloom grain. It's dictated by 
mother nature and every year is different and each variety is different each farm has a different um you know terroir of course but also how you know is there is there a, a higher protein wheat that has a, a better gluten gluten forming ability um so when you bake with these uh flours you want to pay a little more attention to how much water you put in there that's always the biggest thing with with mixing dough is is this uh hydration is the hydration yeah. that's the the percent of water so do, in there so do people tend to underhydrate uh when they make burrito. well i can tell you at, at moxie what we do is we typically hold we reserve uh maybe 20 percent of the water that the recipe calls for uh if we're having a a, a change of, of wheat and and mm. we change our wheat variety in our farmer uh maybe every two weeks or so um so we hold a little water back <coughs> because once you put water in and it gets sloppy and messy you can't take it out so you sort of add it in slowly mm. Uh, and another big difference that you'll notice is that there's this aroma. Uh, almost all of these heritage wheats uh, that are, are ground milled fresh uh, have this malty sweet aroma to them. And so when you add the water and it sort of, you know, awakens the, the, the uh, wheat, it smells like there's honey in there, but it's just the wheat kernel. Wow. And it's delicious. And like sometimes floral. it's floral. Yeah. And sometimes it's totally. so uh, sweet that <clears throat> you have to sort of add add a little bit more salt or sour balance to make the flavor right. I just want to remind listeners who our guests are. We're speaking with Chef Daniel Asher of Ashkara and Cure of Cure Organic Farm and Andy Clark of Moxie Bread Company. We are taking your calls at 303-442-4242. And uh, now I'm going to tell you guys a, a little story about uh, confluence. Um, I heard about this uh, home-based bakery in Lafayette. It's called the Vulcan um, Bread Company. And uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I love bakeries. I'm always interested in anybody who's baking. And uh, Especially if it's pies, John. Especially if it's pies. <laughs> and actually I found a new bakery at Avanti downtown. Uh, yesterday in Denver, no Boulder. Boulder. Okay, uh, you were just googling Lost City. fine pies near me. No, I, I was <laughs> actually I was I was going in to get lunch, and I looked to my right. There's and an I, app for that. Yeah, so um, I was uh, talking to the baker, and uh, I real and I noticed a, a post where he said he was baking bread for Afghani um, refugees, for families that had moved to the area, and had been resettled here. And he said, you know, bread is so essential uh, to various cultures around the world. And uh, so uh, next Monday, I'm going to uh, sit down with one of the families and uh, break bread that he baked. He baked Afghani bread for them uh, and uh, talk to them about that. But when you mentioned Afghani Durham, uh, somehow I feel like that should be. Connected. connected somehow. Yeah, very so, true. But it, it's, well, and, and what, the, what what that brings up for me, John, is a really you know strong sort of emotional, um, I don't know, maybe anger anger point. Uh, you know, we we produce food to feed people, and at a certain point, we get so good at making such beautiful little specialty things that it again becomes precious. And you know, if you look on Instagram at, at bakeries these days, there's these sort of um, uh, you know, these photographs of the inside of the loaf, and, and there's a lot of energy put around what that looks like and how many holes are in the it. Crumb. The crumb. The crumb. It's a thing, <laughs> and if you don't know it, you know, you should 
<laughs> not learn it now. But right, if you don't know it, don't know it. A bakery should just feed people. That that's it. You know, and it, and it, it fresh uh, beautiful bread. It's wonderful to go and and compete. There's a, a um, the Coupe de Monde Boulangerie in Paris every other year. You can compete and you can win. Maybe you could become the the world's best baker. You know, by, by this but, but competitive it, standard. But, but it doesn't feed people. When, when you go to an Afghani bakery, or when you go to an Italian pizzeria, or when you go to a um, you know a farm uh, stand that's making bread. Uh, it's nourishment. It's community. It's uh, and so I just and it's like affordable. To, it's affordable. Yeah, it should be affordable. So, uh, so be careful all those crumb shots out there, people. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I'd like to say, like you know, you know, you're saying when you're buying, you know, these bulk commodity flowers lead to you know a very high level of consistency. I think two words that drive me insane and have I think have degraded our food system and. Some of the most awful ways is consistency and convenience. Mm-hmm. Um, things sh- should be a process and and some form of of labor mm-hmm. of love. You, you mean the the carrots are supposed to come pre-peeled? Right, correct. <laughs> right, carrots are not always perfect and beautiful. There's there's no, vegetables no, no, no. that they always are perfect and they, beautiful. Right, they just they, don't all look the they same. They don't all look the same. <laughs> correct. Thank you for correcting me. You're absolutely right. Very well said. Yeah, the uniformity that is demanded in the supermarket sector um, is crazy, and it, it creates a food system that demands perfection. Nature is absolutely perfect in its imperfection and its beauty is the inconsistencies and that's what we all have to embrace inevitably and it's up to us to find the beauty in those things and to see that that really truly is the magic yeah it is and and kind of john what you were speaking to is this other thing that happens when you sit down and and you have a cultural food tradition <clears throat> that someone else participates in or that you're invited into and and mm-hmm. and and how that actually is the root of health and food also um, yeah. yeah gathering like breaking bread literally right is the most ancient act of hospitality to one another and those are the dining dining experiences that you remember is you know being invited over to your armenian friends you know great grandparents house for a meal and you sit down and there's tradition and there's culture and there's love and there's community and there's humanity and the food is just stitched into that whole process. Right, and mm-hmm. that, that felt sense that, that a flavor or a taste can mm-hmm. take you back to, whether it's oh. like the heirloom tomatoes from, from, from gardens, gardens past in your right. life or the bolognese from, that tastes like mm-hmm. your grandmother's or, right. you know, whatever. It triggers it, it, these it, it, it visceral does. memories. It triggers, and yes. that has to right. do with, with, with overall health, yeah. I think, too. And so that in, totally. in this conversation, there is no room for convenience, commodity, um, fast-paced time, yes. right? Like there's, you know, it's it's a whole different value system. It's about slow, methodical, meticulous focus. Yes, thoughtful, intentional, high right. level of integrity. Yes, and, and that's all wonderful, and I agree. But you bring it down to the practical reality of uh, a mother who works all day, goes home and has to uh, make dinner. Right. And people go, oh, I don't have time to peel the carrots, and I'm going, okay, maybe not tonight. But the single best thing you can do for the future is to um, is to get the skills. You know, learn how to use a knife. You know, there are things you can do quickly. Yes. Of course, yeah. yeah and, I mean, you can get a very you can get very affordable cuts um, of animal protein from the local rancher. You can get beautiful locally raised vegetables very affordably. Mm-hmm. Throw everything in the slow cooker in the morning. Set it on low. 
go do your thing and come back and you have a beautiful meal that's just nourishing and braised in its own magnificent liquid and then you then take that liquid and turn it into soup for day two and then sandwiches for day three and there's a lot that you can do out of a crock pot meal um, that is rooted completely in slow food principles and the idea of supporting a lot of amazing people doing great things including yourself including including supporting yourself in that which i think the very beginning of that is you know i love how you start how you started that john like you have this mom who works all day and then has to make dinner for goes home gets to right we we, we're feeding we're feeding people or dad or whomever in your life and um but that that value is there in general first that it's important to take this time that it's valued just as much as getting yourself together rushing out the door and um going to work that 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 bringing your bringing your family home bringing the people you care about home well this is kind of funny because i mean uh you know as john was saying oh a mother who works all day he's pointing at me and uh this is a little known anecdote about me but i tried to uh escape journalism a couple of years ago and uh, we opened a family uh, cafe and bakery and yeah oh wow i didn't know that in, in oaxaca mexico Wow, and that's so, awesome! Yeah, and let's go. Uh, <laughs> Our bags are packed. Yeah. <laughs> we need a guitar. Oh, what, we've got what, one. Oh, time are we done? <laughs> a little, a little. So, uh, so anyway, one of my biggest, one of the biggest complaints of my kids from moving here, the shift, uh, you know, not not just the culture shock or the language change, but it's like, mom, you don't make bread anymore, you know, mm. and and birthday cakes. Like I used to you know, make their birthday cakes yeah. and decorate them. I'd be like, what kind of a birthday cake do you want? And I'd like make the whole thing. And like, I haven't done that for any of the recent birthdays. It's, you know, and I just, I just don't have time. That's, you know? right. that's reality right. for a lot of people. It is though. reality, but it's like, the, that's the, one of their biggest complaints is like, you, you know, why don't you make bread anymore? Right. It's a time consuming Because it's process. a process, a hundred percent. Right. And we do have a caller. I want to get Jack on the line. Jack is Great. in Niwot. Welcome, Jack. Good morning. Good morning. You're on the air. Yeah, um, I got kind of conundrum. And people have asked me about it before because of food and other things I've been involved with. The solution to people when they go to church and are taking communion, I've seen people come up with three or four varieties without anyone trying to figure it out overall as some kind of solution. We got any ideas? So you're you're asking, should the uh, bread or hosts used for communion be made of better wheat? Well, it seems to be when people actually go up to the communion room, they're actually looking for a choice when they go up there, or they're not going to take it. And people who ask me, well, you cook, you have food experience with working with the homeless in the kitchen. And I was trying to come up with some kind of recipe, and I... I gave up on it. <laughs> yeah, that's an oh. that's an interesting interesting question. There's a um, a flour mill. I want to say it's outside of uh, Corvallis, Oregon, that is perhaps owned by a church, and they bake uh, heirloom wheat organic communion wafers. And that's great. I've never I've never <laughs> tried them, and I think that it's it's conceivable that somebody could do some process flavor improvement on the on the. Communion, communion wafer of yesteryear. So I challenge you to that. I'll give you some free flour. Maybe we'll add some sourdough and some salt to it. Uh, I think there's a lot of ways. Unleavened. That's Unleavened. great. Unleavened. Okay. Yeah. I haven't been to church since 19. 
92. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I'm busy baking. Does that does that help? I'm sorry, we have a different color. I just oh, oh, patched okay. a new the color on. We have Tim in Boulder. Good morning, Tim. Hi. I got up my courage to make this call. Um, I uh, want to salute Ann Cure. This is Tim Norman. And I remember back when Ann was a student at Naropa, I think, uh, in the 90s, I think, and she worked at the Allen Ginsberg Library, and I came in sometimes, and she told me she had a dream of owning, owning a farm someday, having a farm. Oh. And I never forgot that. Oh, wow. And over the years, watching her develop this and turning that dream into a a wonderful world, like a little enlightened world out there at Seth and Valmont. Really awesome! Wow, oh, how great! Uh, wow, we couldn't be there without people like you, Tim. <laughs> wow. All of us, all of us who farm in the community, all of us who have our own small businesses. It's all about the community showing up and teamwork, doing it together and for each other. Dreams, Tim. Thanks for making us cry. Wow. <laughs> well, it's a wonderful place to to be. Bees and goats and pigs. It's a wonderful place just to come and just be there. So thank you. The Cure Farm Stand is exceptional, and the majority of our home garden last year was made up of seedlings from your starts to shishitos and tomatoes and squash and different types of mint. It was phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. I I missed it up. And since we're already missed it up, there was a question I was going to ask the rest of you, including myself. Uh, You were talking about foods, traditional foods, cultural foods that trigger those kind of that wave of emotion so for me uh so my uh, my mother was the child of uh, sicilian immigrants my father was born in austria and the the combination uh, came together into some wonderful food but uh, my mother used to make uh, stuffed cabbage you know, it's not very complicated. It's, it's ri- so good. Rice and uh, meat inside a boiled, uh, you know, cabbage leaf yeah. uh, with tomato and bacon and stuff. But uh, all I have to do is uh, taste that, and I'm uh, eight years old mm. and back home. Mm. And is there a food like that? Oh, well, the first thing that came to mind is my mom makes a really wonderful beef stroganoff, and she always used to make it for my birthday. So that felt sense of uh, what happens at the table, the smell, the texture, the egg noodles. Mm-hmm. It's with your sibling. Yep. Mm-hmm. Andy? So I grew up in, in Vermont before we moved to Massachusetts, and there was this really crazy hippie who still is up there um, at Bread and, Bread and uh, Puppets uh, up in Glover, Vermont. And they would have these summer pageantries with big puppets that would be doing political activism through uh puppetry and uh this old guy would make um we'd take cracked rye that he grew and sour it and make it into sourdough rye sort of a german danish style rye heavy heavy very very heavy and he would make this garlic aioli and he would feed it to all these hippies in the field and i remember i was like a two or three year old kid walking around this field looking at all these hippies eating this garlicky rye um Wow. And it, 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 it left an imprint, and then as a neo-hippie in high school, I drove from my then home in Massachusetts up to visit this, kind of felt like a Grateful Dead parking lot by that time, <laughs> and I ate this bread again, and it just, it hit something, and we, now we, we make a version of that bread at Moxie, and, uh, and that's it. That's great. This just reminds mm. me of like that, it's like the opposite of trauma. Mm-hmm. The opposite yeah, exactly. of trauma. Yeah. 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 Uh, Daniel? Um, I, uh, my mom's Spanakopita. Um, mm-hmm. 
amazing, um, you know, traditional spinach and feta uh, phyllo dough pie. My mom would would um, make it, and then we'd have it warm, and then it'd be cut in squares in the fridge, and I'd take it for lunch the next day. And my my friends at school thought it was a really weird, um, really weird thing. And that was okay. I realized <laughs> a lot of things when I was growing up that people thought was weird was just homemade, amazing, Goodness, um, yeah. good, beautiful mm-hmm. food that my parents mm-hmm. would make. And that was a, a really core foundation mm-hmm. of my love of food and cooking. As we're uh, rolling down towards the end of this uh, way too fast uh, hour, uh, I, I am struck that uh, what you have is uh, four people here who all had a weird dream. You know, we, you know, a lot of weird dreams, John. <laughs> Lots a lot of, of weird, weird dreams. dreams. You know, I, I, I really, was, I, I really was supposed to be uh, a doctor or some other professional, but I, I loved words. Mm. And uh, so, uh, you know, all of us uh, found our way to uh, doing uh, something wonderful. Uh, before we go, since we got Andy here and a guitar, I say, let's have a song. All right, I'll see what we can Fantastic. Do a lot of tune guitar. Sounds great. Said we all live on that same mountain, that same mountain so high. Said we all live on that same that same mountain so high I'm calling you From my mountain to Um, awesome. Do we have uh, time for a final comment from everybody? Yes, we have two minutes. <clears throat> yeah. Hot seat. Well, John, thanks for bringing us all together. It's clear that we all love food and community and want to uh, want to continue sharing it. So one of the one of the best ways that we can can just make the world a healthier place, a better place, feel better in our bodies, in the world around us, is by by choosing choosing our foods wisely, choosing who we want to share with share it with wisely, and 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 prioritizing it, making it a time to to eat well, be together, and and just enjoy. Andy, yeah, my my sentiment would be um, slow down. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, everybody figured out that you could bake your own bread, and it's really not that hard. And if you try it. The first time you don't succeed, try it again, and all of your failures are edible and delicious uh, and made with love and good intention, so keep trying. And um, and create, you know, there's nothing more fulfilling than, uh, you know, sharing your creative energy. And the more you do it, the better you're good at it, the better you get at it. And I think at the end of the day, it's all of our shared intention and creativity that inspires each other. Daniel? Wow. Cheers to that. Cheers to that, yeah. 
Um, I think we all as humans have a very powerful obligation to find our center of peace and love and acknowledge the fact that we are all beautiful beings walking together on this magnificent planet. We're all on a journey and a pilgrimage of sorts, and we need to do it together with a very high level of love for one another and thoughtfulness. And we do that by eating beautiful, nourishing food and talking to beautiful, nourishing people. So let's all keep doing that and spread the love and spread the bliss. Here's my advice. Teach your kids, teach your neighbors, teach your family how to cook, really. Pass it along. And uh, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, so three of you. This has awesome. been a remarkable hour. I hope we get to do it again.